He's got a beautiful backswing. Dad, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What is good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Jim Woodward with you as always. And fellas, it is the last major championship of the year headed to Royal Liverpool, the Open Championship. And we will have the full British Open preview coming up after the break. That's right, I said British Open. Get mad at me if you want to, golf nerds, but it's the British Open to me. Uh, By the way... It was not called the Open Championship until 2017 when the RNA decided to do that. So get mad at me when I call it the British Open all show. But that preview is coming up after the break. But before we get to that, we need to get to the Scottish Open. And if you heard our radio show on Sunday, we got to cover it because the tournament ended before we came on the air on Sunday morning. They moved the tee times up over in Scotland because of gale force winds. A little bit controversial over there. They look at golf a little bit different. They want people to weather the storm, but they did move the tee times up in Scotland and Rory McIlroy goes out there and put on one of the clutchest performances we have seen all year. Now, He had the lead, and he shot two over on the front nine, but then he shoots four under on the back nine with two very, very clutch birdies and two amazing iron shots. He hit a beautiful shot into the wind with a five iron on the 17th hole, par three, ends up making birdie there to tie Robert McIntyre, and then on 18, dead into the wind, long par four. He hits a drive in the fairway and then hits a just bullet two iron fellas to about 10 feet absolute stinger right into the wind to 10 feet makes it for birdie to win the Scottish Open by one shot at 15 under over Robert McIntyre who finished 14 under they blitzed the field David Lingmurth and Ben on and Scotty Scheffler all three finished at 10 under par. So Bobby Mack beat the field by four shots, and McElroy beats the field by five. Uh, T-Dub, what were your thoughts on Rory getting the job done the week before the Open Championship at the Scottish Open? Both of y'all are such massively huge Rory McIlroy fans. Y'all just had to love what you <laughs> saw yesterday morning. And it was it truly was great stuff. I know we, talk, we rip Rory for what he's done off the course, but... I'm going to speak for myself here. I'm, I love Rory when it comes to on the course. It's pretty crazy uh, dynamic. You can hate someone, what they do off their playing off their playing field, but on the playing field, you can uh, adore everything they do very much. And that's how I've been. He led the field this week in tee to green. One of the things we mentioned, I mentioned last week was that I wanted to see how his putting was going to be going into, into the Open Championship this next week because he had been putting really good the last five events over here in America. And yesterday, he ended up gaining strokes on the field for the week. But yesterday, in particular, he gained more than two shots on the greens, which was uh, really, really good stuff to see from from Rory McIlroy. 2.64, to be exact, is what he did yesterday. It was the second most. uh, The only person who gained more strokes putting yesterday was uh, Callum Hill, who finished 25th place. So Rory definitely had the the putter rolling those last two iron shots, as you 
alluded to earlier were spectacularly. And those were the things that we've been ripping Rory for, in particularly, especially in the, in the majors, was that he just wasn't taking the bull by the horns and getting the job done. But yesterday he was able to do that. I understand there's a big difference between a major and just a regular PJ Tour, DP World Tour event, however you want to phrase it. That, that was the Genesis Scottish Open. But Woody, even though you're not the biggest Rory McIlroy fan, you got to think he's going into the Open this next week with a decent amount of momentum for sure. I'll tell you what, that two iron he hits on 18, one of the pure shots I've seen. And that five iron on 17 wasn't bad. But kudos to him. I mean, I hate this son of a buck. I don't care how you guys want to color it. And I still think he's a choking dog, okay? If you get to a place, guys, if you were going to win, almost win 15 tournaments and you win one, and now we're supposed to brag about you? Nah. Yeah, you guys are going to have to work a lot harder to get me to like him, T-Dub. I think he's still a piece of garbage. I don't like the guy. I don't like what he says about I wouldn't play live. I'd retire. Well, then retire, okay? Leave. We don't care. I don't care. So, yeah, he won the Scottish Open. Way to go, Rory. Woody not mincing many words there with Rory McIlroy, but T-Dub, <laughs> I agree with you about – loving his game on the course and disagreeing with him off the course. And we'll get to uh, when we do our open preview with our man Colby Powell coming up after the break. We'll get to uh, what we think Rory McIlroy's chances are headed into the Open Championship. But just after the Scottish, I want to just talk about the unbelievable golf that Rory McIlroy has been playing recently. Obviously winning the Scottish Open, but before that, Tied for seventh at the Travelers. He finished second at the U.S. Open. Uh, finished tied for ninth at the RBC Canadian Open. Seventh at the Memorial. Seventh at the PGA Championship. And obviously, all of that coming off the slump that he had when he finished tied for 47th at the Wells Fargo and missed the cut at the Masters. Um, but he's gotten it figured out on the greens. And you got to credit Brad Faxon for that. He has gained shots on the field putting in his last six events and when Rory McIlroy is putting well he's going to be up there in contention and probably inevitably win golf tournaments but I will say this I'll say that we've seen this story many many times over this past decade fellas and it seems like same story different major for Rory McIlroy will get to his chances later on in the show, but the silver lining as far as the Scottish Open goes for Robert McIntyre, yes, he loses the Scottish Open and he was the hometown guy, the Scott. Uh, everyone was out there rooting for Robert McIntyre, ends up losing by a shot, even though he played a hell of a final round, six under par in the final round. But that that second place finish moves him up into third place on the European points list, which means he is right now locked into a Ryder Cup position, and I would assume even if he drops out of that top three, he's going to get picked for the Ryder Cup. So that's a good sign for Team Europe headed into the Ryder Cup, T-Dub, that they have a guy playing that elite golf. No, he really did, and especially yesterday. He was playing absolutely phenomenal. The bogey that he made in the 70th hole is probably going to cost him, uh, or ended up, actually ended up did costing him because it was a par five. And it just wasn't a very good bogey at all. He just had a layup and then hit a horrible wedge shot from there. The three-wood that he hit on 18 is one of the best golf shots you'll not not only have seen this year, but you'll ever see. He's over in the left rough and hits this little punch knuckler, very similar to what Roy did with his two-iron, but he hit it up there actually a little bit closer. Hit it to about three and a half feet and was able to make that putt for a very, very clutch. Very looked like he was going to win at the time. 
because the two holes that Rory birdied, 17 and 18, both played extremely over par. 18 was by far the hardest hole of the of the day for sure. The, the entire round played almost, I think the average was two shots over par is what it averaged in every other day before it had averaged under par. So it shows how much the wind was blown. But 17 and 18 both playing over par. So you look at that and you think, well, you add up three and four, so that's seven. So it's, they, they, the combined stroke average was pretty close to eight. It's like 7.8. And Rory ends up going two, three to make a five. So you look at the amount of essentially strokes that he gained on the last two holes. It cannot be uh, underappreciated at all. I heard that uh, I was watching live from earlier, and they were talking with Rory, and they said that he had found something in his takeaway, which was uh, extremely paramount at this point. We mentioned how much better his putting was, but his swing is definitely on point right now, which is why I think that he is going to have a very good chance to win next week. But but in regards to Bobby McWoody. I do think that it is good for the Europeans to finally get uh, a little bit of that very bottom of the lineup. Hopefully get that a little more solidified because we've documented for other Americans have 20 good players that they could use. And the Europeans essentially have eight, even though those top seven, eight are extremely, extremely good. It is good if you are a European fan to see Bobby Mack playing some good golf. And he may even have another good week this week coming up. You know, guys, there's a reason we haven't won on their soil in 30 years. It's guys like Bobby Mack. Okay. We don't know about them. We don't have a clue. So we, because we don't know them, we don't think they're any good. Well, you watched how well he played in some adverse conditions. And all of a sudden, now you start going, wow, I, I'd never heard of the dude, but he's pretty good. So, again, there's a reason we haven't won in 30 years. Even though we don't think, in America, we don't think they're as strong as we are. On their soil, they've got some pretty good sticks that, we just don't know much about, and this is a perfect example how Rory and McIntyre ran off from the field, except how can we not talk about Scotty Scheffler? What is it again? Top three, top four, top five? Um, how do you putt this week, guys? You're the ones that always keep all those stats. Was putting well, any better this week? I was, I was just about to no, bring that up. Yeah, exactly. I was just about to bring that up after we finished talking about Bobby Mack. Let's talk about Scotty Scheffler's putting because, as I talked about with Rory McIlroy headed into the British Open, it seems like same story, different major. Well, for Scotty Scheffler, this Scottish Open was same story, different tournament because he absolutely striped it this week. The only guy that struck it better tee to green was Rory McIlroy. Scotty Scheffler gained 2.86 shots tee to green per round on the field, but he lost over half a shot on the greens, Woody. What the hell is going on with Scotty Scheffler's putting and can he fix it? Because it's to the point now where it's not just a trend, it's becoming who Scotty Scheffler is, that he's going to stripe it, but he can't putt. Yeah, I'm starting to worry now. I would have thought by now, guys, he would figure out something where he'd have at least one or two good weeks. But, I mean, it's every week. So now you start to worry. Now you start to go, okay, we're, we're, I've been against him changing putters. I'm about ready with T-Dub. I'm thinking he needs to change putters. Uh, if he's got a putting teacher, Maybe he needs to go to Brad Faxon. Um, I don't know. I, I, I just don't know. At this point, though, this is not – it's not a pattern. It's gotten worse than that. It's bad. Okay, we got to get something fixed here because he's going to get frustrated, and he can't keep hitting the ball this good, guys. You can't possibly hit it this good every golf tournament. We've all played golf enough to know that somewhere along the line it's going to start changing – 
And if he's putting like that, he's not even going to make cuts. Guys, think about it this way with Scotty Scheffler's putting. And T-Dub, tell me if I'm wrong, that we are nearing Tiger Woods-like ball striking with Scotty Scheffler on the year. Strokes gained approach. He's gaining 1.35 shots with the irons per round. He's gaining 1.16 off the tees, gaining almost half a shot per round around the greens and on the greens he's losing 0.17 shots per round and if he were even putting close to tour average t-dub he would be blitzing fields and yes we can talk about how great it is that scotty scheffler hasn't finished outside the top 12 since the cj cup but he's also only won two times and yes he won the players and won at phoenix but the problem is t-dub is that I have trouble trusting Scotty Scheffler coming down the stretch because of the putting. And I think Scotty Scheffler has trouble trusting himself. Obviously, when we see week in, week out, he should be winning golf tournaments and he's not getting the job done because of the flat stick. It's literally nearing Tiger Woods type ball striking. But the difference between Tiger and Scotty Scheffler is Tiger was making putts. Yeah, just to solidify your point there. Uh, the analytics go back to 2004, so we don't have the actual approach and around the green off the tee for Tiger in 2000. I'm sure somewhere deep down we could probably locate that, but it's at least not on data golf. The highest strokes gain approach Tiger ever had was in 2006. It was 2.22 average for the entire year. That's just absolutely ludicrous. For comparison to say, Scotty Scheffler right now is at 1.35. So if you insert that into Tiger's iron play record, it would be essentially about a seventh best year. So that's, that's not knocking Scotty Scheffler at all because Scotty Scheffler is currently the number one iron player in the game of golf, and it's really not even close right now. He's gaining uh, over the course of the last, I believe, 18 months is what this one I'm looking at goes back to. Scotty Scheffler is at 1.5 strokes gained approach, and John Rahm is at .95. So in second place, is not even above one at that point. That, show, that shows how much dominant he is there, but Tiger was extremely exceptional. too. Also to your point as well, when Tiger was having his best years of those years I was just alluding to, he averaged, uh, for the entire season, averaged gaining half a shot putting, gained .87 strokes putting, gained .8 putting, .57 putting, .97 putting. So he was just absolutely dominant with the flash team. Scotty Scheffler is the best off the tee in the game right now, the best iron player, and he's arguably may have the best short game in the, in the game right now, too, when it comes to chipping. But the absolute overall flat stick is down. What I will say is that the, the thing that gives Scotty Scheffler fans a little bit of confidence is that in his last 10 events, going back to this was after he won at the Players' Championship this year, where he didn't even putt that good either, and he won six shots. He's only gained strokes putting three times, but the, the two best putting performances in that time were in the U.S. Open and the PGA Championship. So that is a good sign, I guess, Woody, going into a, a major championship that if, even though his putting has been horrible, recently his best two putting performances have been at the majors. Yeah, I don't know. That's really kind of begging. Like we just said, I think there's something wrong. There's something mechanical or mental. I don't know which one it is, but he's got to get that fixed. He has got to get this fixed because each week he struggles like this, his confidence is going to be hard to get back. And there ain't one of us that plays golf that doesn't understand how important confidence is. And I, I just can't imagine him when he steps on the green thinking he's going to make anything. And that's no good. That's not good for a world-class player. Fellas, back to the Scottish Open. Obviously, like we talked about, the Renaissance Club was playing extremely tough this past week. Um, But 
On the other hand, it is interesting to look at that leaderboard and see who shot over par in that final round in those tough conditions. And a lot of those over par scores in the top 15 or so correlate with guys that we might see in the Ryder Cup or that are looking for a Ryder Cup pick possibly. I mean, you got guys like Tommy Fleetwood, uh, Max Homa, Shane Lowry, you had even Tom Kim. All of those names shot over par on Sunday. Does that worry you at all if you're making Ryder Cup, you know, if you were Zach Johnson or Luke Donald? No, not necessarily. I'm not going to look at one round of golf in particular to decide if I don't make or break someone because there is a decent amount of time left on these picks. I was able to, to finally locate. We've been worrying about this for a while. When the cutoff for the Ryder Cup will be, this is at least for the American side. The Amer- the the final, the top six in the points will be solidified after the BMW Championship. So that's the second of the three playoff events for the PGA Tour. And then the captain's picks will come right after the Tour Championship. So only a week later will the captain's picks be made. And the Tour Championship, I believe, is three we- in three weeks before the Ryder Cup. And there's not really much golf, any golf terms before then. I think there's maybe one PGA Tour event the week before the Ryder Cup or something along those lines. So there's not going to be abundance of time. After that, so no. Uh, what do you? I think that I think looking at one round of golf would be hard to do. But at the same time, I think you need to look at the overall product for the week. So, like for example, Bobby Mack playing so good, even though he moved up at points, I think deserves to be a pick no matter what. Especially with some of the other names that they're debating on uh, throwing out there. Yeah, but I I can't see. Would you guys say anybody made any kind of impression on you? I know JT didn't. Uh, Ricky played pretty good. I mean, he wasn't bad. A speed missed the cut. Um, you know, Homa, he played a little better golf than what he's been playing. But as I look at that, guys, I didn't see anybody that go, oh, wow, man, am I glad he's going to be on our team. So if you guys saw something different, let me know. But I didn't see it. Speaking from the American side, like you said, Homa was playing really good golf for three rounds. He shot two over in the final round, finished tied for 12th at seven under. Um, you had Wyndham Clark. He shot even in the final round. He shot five under for the golf tournament, tied for 25th. Yeah, really nothing from the American side that really shocked me. I think the only guy that made a massive impression was Bobby Mack, T-Dub. The only one that made a positive impact. I'll say that, once again, another week of Justin Thomas not playing very good golf. He, he did make the cup, but he finished down in 60th place. So unless he has a miraculous week this week at the Open Championship, does something in the playoffs. There's at least 20 other players that I would pick right now ahead of him. So it's uh, it's one of those things, Woody, where no one really made a positive impression. But I can scroll through here, and I found some people who – and Spieth's going to be picked. He's, he's played a little bit better golf than Justin Thomas has. But there's definitely some guys that we wish that we'd be trending up that are definitely trending in the wrong direction. Well, the British Open's going to help us. Oh, excuse me, the Open Championship. I'm like you, Sam. I've called the British Open since it's I was a little kid. Uh, yeah, it's pretty British Open to me. Um it's going to be an important week, I think, for our live guys, Taylor and, you know, Dustin Johnson, even as we were talking about Patrick Reed. Um, I think it's going to be real important for that week for those guys to do something because then they're going to be out of chances. You know, if Zach Johnson doesn't think Taylor Gooch is a good pick after he won three times, what difference is going to make him win the fourth? So, um I think that British Open is going to be really important for a lot of players. If we were a mouse in the room, though, I'm, I really worry that uh, Zach Johnson's kind of already got his picks in the back of his mind who he's going to go with, and I'm I'm really worried about what's going to happen come the Tour Championship and that announcement that 
day after. I just, I really worry we're not going to have the best 12 guys on our team. And you should, as an American, worry about that because if they leave a Dustin Johnson or a Taylor Gooch off the team and they go over and lose again in Europe like they have my entire lifetime, people are going to be pissed off about it. And I think that there has to be some value in the fact that Taylor Gooch has won more than any other American around the world this year in 2023. He's won three times. No other American has won more than twice. Fellas, we will get into more British Open talk after the break, but we mentioned on the radio show that there were some Sooners that did really well over this past week. First, we were talking about the fact that Quade Cummins, had a solid chance to win on the Corn Ferry Tour. Quaid ends up shooting one under in the final round, ends up tying for sixth place at 14 under, actually tied with Kevin Doherty, who played his college golf at Oklahoma State at 14 under. Kevin shot seven under in the final round. Nicholas Lindheim ends up winning the golf tournament at 20 under, two shots over Max Grazerman. Uh, Lindheim ends up shooting six under in the final round to win by two. Uh, Parker Cootie ends up finishing solo third place at 17 under toasty finishes tied for fourth at 16 under along with whiting and then like i said quake cummins kevin doherty right there tied for six so a little bit of a disappointing day for quake but still a good sign that quake is playing some good golf on the corn ferry tour t-dub any thoughts yeah it's definitely approaching the crunch time for those boys out on the corn ferry tour there's no doubt about it so having a top 10 finish sixth place there's nothing to uh necessarily cry about i understand the one under in the final round you would want to do this a little bit better considering the players that finished first second third on 600 600 500 in their rounds to be able to move up a decent amount but still a, a good finish for him and kevin doherty as well finishing inside the top 10 just scrolling through here real quick some other local names brendan jelly who played at osu he finished 21st chris goddard up finished 25th i believe uh, patrick welch made the cut as well he finished 43rd logan McAllister made the cut as well Finish 50th. So, Woody, yeah, it's uh, it's good to see these guys playing good because I, I don't know the exact amount of weeks left on the Corn Ferry Tour uh, because it's very similar to what they do on the PJ Tour. They'll be in the final three events that, that you'll be able to move up, but there will be some cards allotted to the people that are uh, already are already so high in the standings. I believe it's 30 or something like that that they'll get. Maybe it's 15 at that point. But nevertheless, Woody, it's definitely a, a crunch time for those guys who want to be on the big tour next year. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and you know, that's a tough thing. The, the, the later in the year, <laughs> the more pressure. <laughs> it's nice to get it out of the way early if you possibly can, where you're up there on the list pretty high. So, uh, having said all that, uh, we're we're still guys. We still really don't know what the PGA Tour is going to be next year. We really don't know how all this is going to unfold. I don't think it's going to really mess with the Corn Ferry guys. Um, I think that. Tour is going to be the same. Like the Champions Tour ain't going to change much. Hopefully, there'll be some trickle down money where those guys will play for more. But I was glad to see some Oklahomans getting in the in the hunt, especially Quade. That, that's good for them. We need a couple wins or out of the Okies if we can. To, that way, they don't have to worry. I just I hate for them to get into those last few tournaments and have all the pressure on it. It's just hard to pull it off when you do that. Yeah, it's really tough. And we mentioned the other Sooners on the radio show. I'll say it right here on the podcast that played well over this past week. You had Jake Hallbrook win the trans miss. And that was going on at Brook Hollow Golf Club in Dallas, Texas. Uh, Jake Hallbrook. 
12 under par and gets into a playoff with Neil Shipley uh, and ends up making a 40-foot putt to win the transmiss. Shoots 66, 65, 69 to get himself into that playoff and then wins in the playoffs. So big time for Jake Hallbrook, the Sooner currently. And there was another Sooner in the top five. Drew Goodman finishes two shots back at 10 under par, 68, 66, 67. Big time play from those guys in one of the bigger amateur events, the Transmiss, T-Dub. Yeah, I got uh, a little bit of history in that term. I think we all, we all probably do. I played in in 2014, Oak Tree, and then 2014 at Southern Hills. It's just a tremendous tournament. It's one of the top 10, I would say, amateur tournaments in the world. One of the years that I put the, the 2012 in Oak Tree, uh, they had, that was whenever they still did 18, 18. And then the final day, it was 36 holes. And it was, it was in June instead of July, the same time as it is now. So it was extremely hot. And also they decided to extremely ramp up they could, the toughness of the golf course in the final day. I think that in those 36 holes out of everyone that played, there was only one player that shot under par. They had every pin about three paces off of the side, and some of your on some of the tee shots you were standing back in rough. Off that's how far back they placed some of these tees. So uh, definitely, yeah, some unique experience in that transmiss. Transmiss. Woody, did you ever play in that tournament? Oh yeah, everybody played a transmiss. I, I think I not only played one, I played two or three of them. Um, my first one was in Kansas City at Kansas City Country Club, where Tom Watson was. Great golf course, great tournament. <laughs> You know, the summer, for a college kid, the summer is, is as fun as it gets. Back in my day, we used to play Calcuttas, which were really fun. That's how you made money instead of working. Uh, they don't do that anymore because you get busted for that and you have the NIL. But um, that's another story. We could talk about Calcuttas for a while one day if we got bored. If you think about the summer for a lot of college golfers, it, it, to me, it's the guys that might not be making the team or are close to making the team or the fourth, fifth man trying to show off for, for the two coaches, you know, our state coaches. Uh, you know, it, it makes them look good if they have a good summer. It, it leads to a good fall usually, but it, it, it brings an attention to the coach, you know. So when you think about it, I love the summer for a college guy and the golf part of it because he gets to go and play, you know, a lot of good golf courses, a lot of places all over the country. When it gets him kind of, if he's had a, maybe not a good year coming up, then he goes forward from there. You know what I mean? He has a good summer and he leads back in. So I know I, I can tell you this, I, even though I'm date myself, Holder used to watch what we did in the summer a lot. So you can bet Alan Bratton is, and you can bet Coach Hibbler. They're watching these guys, what they're playing in and how they're playing. Trust me. No doubt about it. That's a great point that I don't think a lot of people, casual golf fans, realize that the summer is extremely important, probably more important for these college players than even the college season is. I screwed up on one thing, fellas. It was four rounds. I was thinking college golf, normally three rounds. It was four rounds. By the way, Jake Hallbrook and Neil Shipley both shot the same thing every single day. 66, 65, 69, 68. Uh, So they both shot the exact same scores every single day. 
Riley Lewis ends up shooting 64 in the final round uh, to vault himself up into 11 under solo third place. But yeah, it is still four rounds, T-Dub. I'm not sure if they still do the 36 holes on the last day. I played in it in, like you said, I played in it at Oak Tree National and at uh, Southern Hills. That was actually where I met Bryson for the first time back when Bryson was uh, his old cocky self and he was the defending champion and uh, Will Zalatoris ends up winning the uh, range short and transmiss back when we played it at Southern Hills, T-Dub. Yeah, I remember seeing Bryson on the range with his little uh, Ben Hogan hat and I said, who the hell is this kid? And then uh, one of my buddies said, oh, he's the defending champion. I said, okay, well, he can wear, wear whatever the hell he wants. If you're going to play good <laughs> golf like that, you can get away with the, with the Ben Hogan hat. But had anyone else done it, Woody, I would not have been able to tolerate it. <laughs> you know, that's funny. I remember when Tiger made the twirl of the club popular, and every kid had to learn how to twirl the club after they hit their shot. And I remember seeing a number of amateur events where I'd watch them now twirl the club. I'd think to myself, that's really good, but you're not Tiger. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. I think that everyone who is elite in the game of golf, if they do something, they're allowed to do it. It doesn't necessarily mean everyone else should do it. Uh, kind of talking about like Tiger with the mock turtlenecks. Terrible look for everyone except for Tiger Woods or red on the last day. Don't be wearing red and black on the last day of your club championship, T-Dub. You know what I'm talking about? There's a lot of things like that. Uh, Bryson's Francis We Met hat was one of those that you were talking about back in the day. There are a few unwritten rules that you should have whenever you're just out casually playing. The, the red, especially the if you get a red polo with some black shorts, okay, there's there's certain times where it's not going to be that big a deal, especially if you want to try to do it out of respect thing. But you better not be going out there shooting 85 or worse if you're opposing that look, no doubt. But the thing about the mock turtleneck was that, what was it, probably, God, it's probably close to 20 years ago now. It was actually a in-fashion thing. It, it was pretty, a lot of people wore them. They were a lot more common back then than they were now. And then Tiger brought it back at the around 2019 Masters. Yeah, to, yeah to get, him, uh, get him a little bit of good mojo and thank God for it because it was uh, tremendous what happened there so no there there was a time and place for the mock for sure i have one in my closet but i do not i and be honest with you i cannot think of a situation coming up where i would wear it unless it's like for example a, a tiger woods costume or something like that. right that's exactly right uh fellas we got one more piece of uh information we got to get out to the people we were talking a lot about playing in the carl albert fundraising golf tournament out at john conrad first of all John Conrad was absolutely beautiful, one of the best municipal golf courses in this city here in Oklahoma City, and I was thrilled to play it for the first time since the renovation. They took out a lot of trees. They added some undulation to the greens. I really enjoyed it, T-Dub. There was a couple holes where, by the way, they flipped the nines, made a couple holes, par fives that are technically long par fours. But other than that, I really enjoyed it. And it was nice to play a municipal course that had a bunch of undulation in the greens. I know some people don't like that, but hey, it's the course's only defense when you take out all those trees and it's pretty easy tee to green. It's a different little setup for a municipal course. And I enjoyed playing John Conrad. What were your thoughts on the course, first of all? Well, what's crazy about it was, because very similar to yourself, I have not played it since the renovation. And it used to be, a tree-line course that you did not hit many drivers on. It used to be very much of a placement course. A lot of irons, a lot of three woods, that kind of thing off the tee, and then the greens were flat. It was it was notorious for aim at the center of the hole and just hit it hard, and usually it would you, the result would be fairly decent. 
But now it's literally a complete 180 difference. You, I hit some, I mean, atrociously bad drives. My drive was horrible this last week, and I was still able to play, be able to manage to get around. But those greens are so different than what they used to be. It's almost like link style greens in the, in the shapes of them. And then also, too, around the greens was so firm that you could play a lot of run-up shots. So, Woody, I, I thought it was a very u- unique test. I was completely flabbergasted whenever I saw it because it was so different. But uh, overall, I'm, I was a pretty decent fan of what they did with it. In the spring and the fall, when I'm working with the golf team out there, the Carlisle golf team, when those greens are quick, there's some of those pin placements that are impossible. You, you really, the only, only question mark I had is, is there's just not very many good pins when the greens are running 10 or 11 on a step meter. They're, they're brutal when it gets really like that. But I had to tell our listeners, though, I peed off on Friday at one, and Sam was working on the sports handle. He wasn't going to be out of the kid. You guys didn't get there till around 4.35, and you were going to play late and get it finished. I knew that was going to happen. But when I go out on the golf course, I put my phone on silent. I really don't look at it much. I, I just don't pay attention to it. Well, I was about 15 holes into my round before I finally looked at my phone. And, guys, I still to this day, you can't believe how much I chuckled. My my partner, Caleb King, was sitting in the <laughs> cart, and I went, oh, God. And I started laughing. And uh, he goes, what are you laughing at? I said, well, Sam and Taylor just sent me a message and said, we are playing a scramble, right? And, no, we weren't. Uh, we were playing a scramble. <laughs> Yes. So let us tell our side of the story here, Woody, and then we'll catch back up with your side of the story. So basically, and we can check the tape. Our listeners might be able to tweet us and let us know. Uh, But I thought it was the Carl Albert fundraising scramble, right? And so obviously we tee off later than the whole rest of the tournament, and it's a two-day event. So we were going to tee off with everybody the next day. We were going to play our round late, and we're teeing off at 5 p.m. It gets dark at 8.30 this time of the year in Oklahoma. So we're pressed for time anyways, but we play the first seven and a half holes in a scramble and I'm texting with one of my other buddies Caleb Price and I said we're gonna beat you in this scramble because he was out there earlier on when everybody else teed off when the whole tournament teed off and he goes what are you talking about it's a best ball event it's a two-man best ball and T-Dub and I had been playing a two-man scramble for seven and a half holes. So what do we do? We go straight to the 10 tee box after we talk to Woody and Woody called us morons. And basically, we tee off on 10 and we play best ball all the way around to back to uh, number one. And then we play the last nine holes in the dark. And the funny part about it, T-Dub, is we played better when we were rushing, playing in the dark, than we even played the second day. We shot nine under best ball the first day, and we shot five under best ball on the second day. We were making more putts in the dark, considering this best ball format was a giant putting contest. We couldn't make a 10-footer on the second day in the pure daylight, but we were making everything we looked at in the dark. Our listeners will not be able to comprehend how magical it was that we were able to get this accomplished. The, the time that we had to get 18 holes of golf in was so minute, it was actually a joke. And also, too, the thing was was that we were not the only people on the golf course. We, we probably would have finished 30 to 40 minutes earlier had we not had to wait the majority 
of the front nine. Luckily, by the time we got to the back nine, almost everyone had, had packed it in because there wasn't a whole lot. Of, there was probably 40 minutes of daylight left at that point. Me and Sam were able to get the whole back nine done with a little bit of time to spare as well. It was actually pretty astonishing at that point. But, yeah, the, you could not understand how so, – on the front nine in particular, because I thought, well, if we don't play this front nine fast, there's no way they're going to be able to get this done. I was not even range finding some shots. I wasn't even lining up. I was literally running up to the cart, almost drifting into it, and then just hopping out, grabbing a club, and hitting it. And, and somehow it ended up pretty good most of the time. And then we would, like Sam said, we just would step up and not even look at hip putts. It makes me want to play a lot faster whenever I play just regularly now. Because I was like, man, it seems like it was pretty successful. But Woody, I was thinking about this, and I said this on the radio show. Me and Sam, we don't play near as much golf as we used to. So if you would have said, what is, just describe how you and Sam work as a team. I can't think of a better way to describe us than we signed up for a tournament. We played the wrong format for about a third of the day. <laughs> <laughs> well, see what I think you guys figured out, though. We know now what Scotty Kessler needs to do. He needs to play at a different time and play in the dark. He probably could make some pots. There you have it. You guys just figured it out. I just don't think he's going to be able to get away with that. No, you guys made my made my day when you, when you sent me those messages. And it, I saw those missed calls, and I went, oh, God. I felt so bad because I felt bad because I wasn't paying attention hey, to my Woody, phone to tell hold you. Hold on, hold on, hold on. T-Dub, please explain to Woody, because we were talking about this in the cart as we were playing that nine holes in the dark on Friday night. So many things added up to where we didn't know the format. Like, if one thing would have happened differently, please explain to the listeners and Woody how this possibly could have happened. You, do you see what I'm saying? Well, it, oh, it, it was. It's what's funny, you know, when you talk about how could somebody do this? It, you know, how does a plane crash where the the pilot forgets to put the flaps down? Okay, before he takes off. That's why it's a perfect storm. First off, you guys weren't there at 1 o'clock like all the rest of us were, who got a rule sheet, got the rules, got all our, our, our goodie bags, got everything we were supposed to get. You guys, because you were working at the sports animal, Sam, you were going to be late, so you didn't tee off till 5. So you missed that, okay? Then the second thing that happens is the perception in your all's mind we're playing a scramble, okay? Now, we have a spotter with you that is actually on the golf team. The kid plays on the golf team. Well, obviously, Coach Herbert didn't explain to him what the rules were. He you thought know? we were playing a scramble, and too. <laughs> Shout out to Blake. Great kid, scramble by the way. He's, he's got some potential, buddy. I mean, it, 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 then when it comes to the third and what I'd say the final biggest flaw that how this could happen, this is the first time Coach Herbert. Coach Herbert, gentlemen, is a football coach. He is really good football coach. I think he takes care of the defensive backs. He's a really good football coach. Carl Albert, by the way, won the state title again this Big year. Big-time football team. So. So he's not necessarily a golfer. It was his idea to put this golf tournament on, okay? So he just says, well, I'd rather play a best ball than a scramble. And I said, well, that's great. I mean, because every other tournament's a scramble. It was the perfect storm is what I'm saying. Hey, it get this, Woody. Well, get this. We saw Coach Herbert on the course, but we saw him on a tee box 
where we both hit, so he never realized that we were playing a yeah. scramble on that yeah. front nine. Yeah. A perfect it's, storm of all these little things to make us play seven and a half holes, and we had no clue, and y'all had no clue. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Yeah. Well, my my partner Caleb Ing, when we got in the cart to go to the first tee, he goes, "This isn't a scramble." I said, "No, man, that's the best ball." <laughs> he was, he thought it was a scramble, and I, I'm sure that the reason why, guys, in all fairness, for every one of those kind of charitable events, what do you play? You play a scramble. That's what we always play. So. We learned a lot from this first time. I, I think Coach Herbert and I will do it a little different next year, uh, whether we play two days of best ball or not. But I liked it. I thought it was I thought fun best ball was I great. playing but, your own ball. Well, and, uh, and Woody, too, just to add another element to the craziness of this, had Sam not been texting our mutual friend Caleb Price, we would have never known throughout the entire day. We would have gotten <laughs> eight done with 18 holes. We probably would have turned in, I don't know, we weren't playing that good, but we were getting a little bit better. I think we would have shot at least thir- probably 13 under, something like that, just right, a rough right, guess. Right. And then everyone would have thought, man, these cheating bastards playing by themselves, yeah. shooting 13 <laughs> under best ball? Do we shoot five thought. under the next day? And, and then we'd show up to the first tee on Sunday thing, we're playing scramble, and everyone looks at us, what the hell are y'all doing? Yeah, exactly. And then that's when we realized, and then everything would have been massive chaos at that instant. That exact, oh, that's exactly God. right. Tita, by the way, thank you for reminding me. We, we got to talk about... Caleb Price and Brian Birchell, who are two local amateur legends in their own right, they go out there, they shoot 21 under best ball for two rounds. They shot 12 under in the second round best ball. Shout out to Caleb Price and Brian Birchell. I think I heard that Brian Birchell shot eight under bogey free on the second day on his own ball. So shout out to Brian Birchell and Caleb Price. Yeah, that was was what shocked me is how low they did shoot. I was I was amazed at it. I was like, dead gum. And let me tell you something, in our older division, I thought we, Caleb and I were going to have a cakewalk. Well, we ran across uh, Daryl and uh, Brett, Alcorn is their name. And let me tell you something, that was a father-son duo that could flat golf their ball. I mean, I was I was like, okay, Caleb, you better get your shoes tied a little tighter because these guys aren't backing up. No, it was super fun out there, fellas. And shout out to Coach Herbert at Carl Albert. A bunch of great talent out there. Got to meet a bunch of the high school kids. They're going to have a great year, uh, not only in football like we talked about, but in golf next year as well. Shout out to Carl Albert for having us out, to John Conrad. If you can support the Carl Albert golf team, definitely go do that because they are great kids and have a great coach and John Herbert. I had a phenomenal time. Any final thoughts on the weekend at John Conrad T-Dub? It was absolutely a great event and it made for some classic stories. I don't know if I'll ever be able to play another tournament in the wrong format for eight holes ever again. So that was definitely <laughs> something memorable there for sure. One thing that I want to make perfectly clear though, that's pretty funny. The Blake who we played with and who was our spotter in the first day did not know the rules of the tournament either. I asked him, I said, has Woody ever said anything inappropriate around you? And he said, oh, yeah. So just want to let the listeners know <laughs> that Woody does not treat the kids any differently than he does uh, the podcast. No filter. Uh, now, that that was a low blow. Now, come on, man. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> here's, here's the great thing about being a volunteer when you coach, okay? You can't they get can't fired. Fire me. <laughs> they, can't get, they can't fire me, okay? <laughs> so 
I can only tell you that Coach Herbert has actually had to turn away a couple of times at some of the things I've said to these young men. But I was raised where if you didn't do it right, somebody needed to let you know you didn't do it right. I guess what I'm saying, guys, is I'm not woke. I won't be woke. And if you want me to be woke on our podcast, you need to fire me now. (laughs) Hey, Woody, I will tell you this, that both of the kids that we played with from Carl Albert on the high school golf team that you help out with, they both talked to me about how you stress trajectory with wedges. And that was one thing we talked to uh, Keegan and Blake about, the two kids on the high school golf team that you helped them out, Woody. And so I, I figured I would let you give the listeners who may be just casual you know, golfers, weekend warriors out there, give them a couple tips on trajectory with wedges because both of those high school kids said you really helped them out with their wedge game. Well, you know, one of the things I think, Sam, that I see a lot when I'm watching people hit wedges is they have a misconception that you set up open to a wedge shot. I don't know why, but everybody just thinks, okay, well, I've got to aim to the left of the target. And I'm, I'm trying to spin it, you know, and I'm trying to get it up in the air. Well, all the great wedge players I saw were just the opposite. They, they would set up with either square or slightly closed setups and come from a much shallower trying to almost hook their wedges into the hole and slide them down. That's what, that's the reason why Dustin Johnson got really good with wedges. He had to learn to do it that way. The reason why I say that is you set up open and you come into the golf ball with the, the loft on the club. On a wedge, it'll tend to roll up the face is what it does. And, and so it doesn't really spin as much in as it does just kind of pops up and floats. Well, that's how all those young men used to hit it. They, they would do that. And now imagine in Oklahoma in the spring when the average wind is about 30, <laughs> right? I mean, in the springtime, it blows so much. Well, we got out there, and we just hit 100-yard wedges, and I'd tell them, hey, you might want to do a nine iron. You might want to do your pitching wedge. You know what they'd get out there with from 100 yards? They're 58s and they're 54s, and they'd throw it up in the air, and where would it do? It'd come up way short, and it had so much spin on it. So I just I think people – don't realize it, but next time they go out to hit some wedges, try squaring up or even closing down and try to hit a low hook with a wedge. It's harder to do than you think because you can't really hook it. There's not enough speed to hook it. So when you try to, what it is is just maybe a baby draw and it slices it so good. I, I wish I could tell you I invented that. I did not. It's like everything in golf I've ever done. I learned it from somebody that was a lot better and smarter than I was. That's really good advice there, Woody. We need to hit a break here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. If you want to hear about how great those Sooners did over this past week, definitely go to golfoklahoma.org and check out the great stories that Kim McLeod and Chris Swafford are doing at golfoklahoma.org. We have the Oklahoma Golf Hall of Fame banquet coming up later this year as well. You guys need to stay tuned in to Golf Oklahoma. 
Org. All right, guys, we got to hit a break. And then after the break, Colby Powell, one of the original three musketeers from the 73rd Hole podcast, is coming on the show to help us preview the final major of the year, the Open Championship preview, coming up after the break here on Oklahoma's Leader in Golf, the 73rd Hole podcast. Hey everyone, T-Dub here. I want to take a second to tell you about my good friends at McCray Roofing. Not too long ago, my roof was in desperate need of repair. There was extensive hail damage and I had many leaks that needed attention. Not only did Jeff and his staff build me a new roof, but they walked me through step-by-step of the claims process, which is something that I was very, very concerned about. Everything from the initial inspection of the roof to analyze all the damage to meeting with the insurance adjuster to make sure they were aware of every damaged area, making sure my claim was accurate. Their custom copper creations are truly beautiful and add a great touch to any roof. Not only do they do residential roofs, but they have an elite list of commercial customers, including Gallardia Country Club, Oak Tree National, and Bass Pro Shops. Check out their website at mccrayroofing.com to view some of their work yourself and give them a call at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. We're back on the other side of the break here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Jim Woodward with you as always. And as we have had every single major championship week, we are getting the band back together and we have the Golf Channel's own Colby Powell on the podcast to help us preview the Open Championship or the British Open, as I like to call it, Colby. By the way, before we get started in this preview, is it the British Open or is it the Open Championship to you? Not to the RNA, but to you, which one is it? To me, I feel like I've always called it just the Open, um, but I'm not. I'm not like some sort of elitist that gets mad at people when they call it the British Open because it is a nice kind of differentiator between it and the U.S. Open. But I'm just glad we were able to make it four for four, all four majors. I was able to come on. And I'm not waiting until April. So we're going to have to do FedEx Cup, Ryder Cup, something. We're going to have to do something because I can't wait till April. I love it. Colby has about 15 minutes with us guys to help us preview uh, this Open Championship. So, Colby, I'm going to dive right into it with you. I got to get your initial thoughts on what we saw from the Vegas favorite, not the Data Golf Analytics favorite, but the Vegas favorite. Uh, That's Rory McIlroy winning the Scottish Open. We covered it last segment. Unbelievably clutch finish for Rory making birdie on both 17 and 18 to win the golf tournament by one last week it seems like everything is setting up perfect for Rory McIlroy where have you heard this story before uh what are your thoughts on the favorite this week in Vegas Rory McIlroy yeah I think Rory when the PJ Live stuff initially came out you know it was Rory took some some heat on the internet and stuff we still don't know how all that's going to play out but Looking at it now, it, it kind of seems like this weight was lifted off of Rory McIlroy where he no longer feels like he has to go out and be the spokesman for a tour that kind of sold him up the river. And Jay Monahan's back as of today. Welcome back, Jay. You've got some questions to answer now that you're healthy. So glad you're back in the picture. But Rory no longer has to answer any of those questions. And it, it seems like a weight has been lifted. He was almost there at the U.S. Open. You know, the Scottish, that wind was whipping. 
She made the long putt. I think it was on 14. I actually just watched the Scottish Open this afternoon because uh, I had things going on yesterday morning. But she looks great right now. Um, I- I'll say I just I still think that the expectations are just so heavy um, that I-, I-, I don't think Rory wins by one. Let's put it that way. I, I think if Rory is like tied with four holes left, the weight of trying to capture that first major in nine years is so heavy. I think Rory is either going to win by five or I don't think he's going to win. Colby, in, in my opinion, this is one of the bigger open championships or British Open, however you want to call it. In my opinion, it's the British Open, but I've just called it the Open for the last couple of years. So I say it about 50-50, but nevertheless, it's important because of the, of the Ryder Cup and because there's so many names also for the, the Americans – because they've got about 20 players here, extremely loaded. And then the Europeans, who've got seven or eight good players, but then the bottom four, luckily Bobby Mack look, looks like he filled a spot last week. So going to give you a pretty loaded question here, Colby, but I, I think you'll be able to accomplish it. I want you to give me, if you were if you were the Ryder Cup captain for the Americans, give me your six captain's picks that you would pick. And then for someone this week, who's a potential guy that maybe we're not looking at who could do something like Wyndham Clark did at the U.S. Open and just automatically vault him up into uh, into a solidified spot? Ooh, that's a good question. I'm going to answer the, the second part of that first, the guy who could vault himself up. It's a guy that I've heard some chatter, but not a lot. And don't call me crazy here. If Kurt Kitayama wins this week, and maybe not even wins, maybe getting a playoff, top three, top five, something like that, Kurt Kitayama, I think, is a, a dark horse to make the U.S. Ryder Cup team if he comes on really strong this week and throughout the season. He's got a lot of experience in Europe. He's not your typical uh, bomb and gouge American. He hasn't played well lately, but that's why you're asking me who can kind of come off the radar and jump into the picture. I think Kurt Kitayama is that guy because today he is definitely out. He is definitely not on the team. But looking ahead, if he has a strong finish to the season to pair with his win at Bay Hill earlier this year, I think Kitayama could be a guy who could sneak in and grab a spot. As far as what my six picks would be, um, I, I just if you're the captain and you don't take kind of those guys at seven, eight, nine, that's just you know, there's some politics in the Ryder Cup. I think that's political suicide. So I would I would have Keegan Bradley, I would have Jordan Speed, I would have Colin Morikawa. Beyond that is where you get to a little bit of gray area. I think Ricky's a lot. He's at 12 right now on the points list. I think Ricky's a lot. That only leaves me two more spots. I think that Justin Thomas is – he's certainly not at this level, but I think he's kind of starting to develop an impulsor-like reputation where he just plays well with the other guys. Everybody loves having him on these American teams, and he succeeds in these formats. I think Justin Thomas uh, will be a pick, and, and I think that he'll play better golf over the next two months than he has over the past two months just on the, the pure aspect of talent winning out. So that leaves you one spot now for Cam Young, Sam Burns. Some people want Danny McCarthy. I'm not there. Uh, even Zalatoris coming back healthy won't have played enough golf. Finau, uh, Gooch, DJ, Bryson, those guys. I think – let's see what happens this week and throughout the rest of the season. I think Tony Finau is being discounted right now. Tony Finau is a summer stallion. This dude plays his best golf in July and August for whatever reason. He's probably going to go out and win the 3M next week. So I think that that will end up being your sixth when all is said and done. Keegan, Spieth, Morikawa, Fowler, JT, and Fina. That's who you think is going to be on the team. Who would you pick if you were Zach Johnson? Real quick. Um, 
Ooh, I mean, I, I would definitely pick those top three and JT and Ricky. So that would only leave me one spot. And I think it would probably go to whoever plays best the rest of the season between Young, Burns, Finau, Gooch, and DJ. I can't see Bryson getting there. Unless Bryson wins this week, I can't see Bryson getting there. Um, it's hard to say right now in July because, we, I mean, we've got another seven weeks worth of sample size coming our way. Um, today, it would probably be, of those names I just threw at you, um, it would probably be DJ. I'm just I'm a believer in, in what DJ is as a player, the high talent level, the experience in the team competitions. It would probably be DJ. Yeah, that's that's an interesting selection there because we've we've all been so high on Gooch this year. You know, he's won three times, Colby, and he's won on hard golf courses all over the world. I mean, I I did struggle with anybody that doesn't think that wouldn't be a bad guy for that team, especially his friendship with Homa. I know he's lived, but this this live and PGA Tour are kind of going to have a kumbaya at some point. So Ryder Cup wouldn't be the worst place to start the kumbaya going. I, I know DJ has more experience than Taylor, but Taylor's had a good summer, bud. Let me butt no, in that. real quick and ask you this, Colby. Now, how do you think that Gooch is going to play this week at the Open Championship? Because I think a lot of it has to do with how you think he's going to do this week. He he has won more than any other American around the world, like what he's saying, but he hasn't necessarily proved it in majors. So go ahead on what you think of Gooch this week at the Open. Yeah, T34 at the Masters, miscut at the PGA. And I, I think at the PGA, he had all the pressure of trying to get into the U.S. Open on him. I think that there's a lot of pressure for him this week because I do think that he's playing for his spot in the Ryder Cup this week. And I think that he needs to play really well. That's a lot of pressure to have on somebody. And it's hard for me, um, unless I'm missing one, I don't think that he has a career top 10 in a major. Uh, with all this pressure on him, I just I don't know that I see him right there at the end. He's playing the best golf of his career. And if he is in the hunt on Sunday, y'all know I don't love Liv. But y'all know I do love PG. He's been unbelievable to this podcast. From the day Taylor and I started it to where y'all are at now, it's just I, I root for Taylor Gooch, but I just have a hard time going out on a limb at a major championship for a guy that I haven't seen do it specifically in the major. I get what you're saying about Justin Thomas, and if he starts playing a little bit better golf, okay, I'm going to go ahead and give him a pick. But if he keeps playing how he has, there are if you include the six automatic qualifiers, there are at least 20 Americans I'd rather have over JT right now. 20. He's just so good in these team competitions, though. That's why, like, I do, I think the history of how these guys perform in the team competitions matters. And that's why I said DJ ahead of those other names I listed, Gooch, Cam Young, Burns, those guys. I, I do think the history in this event matters. Um, and, and I, maybe I'm giving that too much weight, but I do lean toward the guys who've been successful in these team settings. We'll have to table the Ryder Cup discussion for when Colby has more time because it's very, very interesting listening to Colby's perspective on all of this. Um, Colby, let's dive back into the favorites for the Open Championship. And according to Data Golf, Scotty Scheffler is the favorite at 11.5% chance to win the golf tournament. Now, we've talked a lot, even in the first segment here, about how it's a different tournament. Same story for Scotty Scheffler not getting it done on the greens. His ball striking is phenomenal, the best on tour, but his putter continues to betray him. Uh, my question to you is if I am a better this week, am 
I going with Scotty Scheffler or John Rahm if my name is Colby Powell? Oh, I think I'm going with Scotty Scheffler. I, I think Scotty Scheffler is going to win the golf tournament. Um, his putter has been betraying him, and he hasn't been able to get it done down the stretch. Man, right up at the point that clicks, uh, it's going to happen for him. It's just, it's just hard for me to imagine that a season at this level, this caliber of ball striking, which is up there with the great seasons in the history of the game, is not going to result in one single major champion. Now, the, the waste management win was great. The players win was great. The players win nice for his resume and everything. But you know he wants to cap this with a major. And I'll say this. In 2006, in 2006 they showed up to Hoy Lake for the first time in like 50 years. And guess what? The best player in the world won the golf tournament. In 2014, they came back. The best player in the world won the golf tournament. Scotty Scheffler is the best player in the world. I think he's going to win the golf tournament. Probably. I'm sitting here and I'm looking at the forecast for Ohoy Lake. And on Thursday, we have a 40% chance of rain. Friday, 40%. Saturday, we have 80% chance. Sunday, we have 80% chance as well. There's always going to be a little bit of rain that time. But it looks like the precipitation is going to be fairly high, at least compared to what we saw last year at St. Andrews. looks like the wind's going to be about what 10 to 15 is what they say each day, so that'll be gusts of over 20. At the time of recording, we don't have the tee times yet, which this is probably the most important tournament before we have when it comes to looking at your tee time. So how do you think the weather will, will have an impact this week? Yeah, I, I hope that it does a little bit. But I hope there's kind of some wave integrity. I hope that Mother Nature uh, cares about the fact that there's a lot of people in an open championship and we don't have a 2010 St. Andrews situation where half the field gets wiped out in an hour by Mother Nature. Um, I, I guess we should say that all of our open championship picks come with the caveat that if Mother Nature decides to wipe out half the wave, then we'll, we'll go ahead and rescind that pick. But um, I think weather at the open championship is, is awesome. I think it's fun. I think it's what these courses are designed for. I mean, Wind and the rain are, are the defense of these golf courses. So I hope that we get the wind and the rain. I just hope we get it steady across both ways uh, so that we don't look at some sort of situation where, you know, Rory and Scotty are both wiped out or, or, or John Rahm and Brooks Kepka are both wiped out by the weather because that's no fun. And then it ends up leaving uh, betters and, you know, fans and everything feeling bitter because their guy got to play in a 40-mile-an-hour wind and the other guy was out there when it was blowing five. Colby, I want you to remember something because you were spot on on two things. You were right with Rory. Rory's got to go out and dominate if he's going to win. I think his next major will be by a number of shots. I truly believe that. I think you were right on the mark. I also think you're right on the mark with Scheffler. I mean, we've been beating him up on his putting now for a while, but I think I think he's going to come through unless the weather like you say, as a caveat, we can't figure out. But you can't say this, but I want you to always remember this because I said at one time there's two things you can count on on an open championship British Open. The weather's ugly and so are the women wherever they're playing. I knew it was coming, Woody. I knew it was coming. I, no comment. I love you, Woody. There you go. I, I know you got to leave us, but I wanted to just – I didn't have a question. I just wanted you to know that. Woody played it off, by the way, like he said it. Oh, I just said it one time in passing. No, he said that on the news one time uh, and left Dean Blevins uh, crying in tears. It's a fact. <laughs> uh, hey, guys, have you ever been to Scotland? Colby, you ever been to Scotland? No. Uh, I have not. I need no. to at some point. Those okay. When, when you guys go to Scotland, you will notice something. The sheep always back up against a wall. There's a reason for that, gentlemen. Trust me, okay? Think about it, and then we'll move on. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
Oh my gosh. Uh, Colby, Colby, I got one more question for you before I get your picks. You're a big OSU guy. Two OSU guys are in the top 10 favorites for this British Open, according to the Data Golf Analytics. That would be Victor Hovland and Ricky Fowler. Which one do you think is going to have a better week? I'm pretty bullish on Ricky. I, I think Ricky's playing the best golf of his career right now. I think he's playing better golf than he was eight, nine years ago. He's so consistent and I know that the rocket mortgage is, is just the rocket mortgage, right? But it's the fact that he got over the finish line. I don't, I don't care if it was at the rocket mortgage the, or, or at the barbasol. He got across the finish line, and I think that that is so, so key for Ricky. Um, it, it feels weird to fade Hovland right now at a major, and I, I'm not even fading Hovland. I'm just comparing him to Ricky uh, because Hovland has been so good, and it started last year at the Open Championship. I just think Ricky is really dialed in right now. Um, and when I give you my top three, he's not going to be in it, but I had some serious deliberation, uh, about putting him in, in that third spot. I just couldn't bring myself to do it. All right, Colby, who are your picks for this week at Royal Liverpool? Uh, all right, number one, I already told you, I think he's going to win the golf tournament. That is Scotty Scheffler for all of the aforementioned reasons. Uh, number two, it, it's gotta be Brooks Kepka. It, it's gotta be. I, I think that this golf tournament could go any number of ways with weather, uh, you know, it's, it's a course we've seen before, but it's different. It's the longest course in open road of history. The 17th hole has been flipped 180 degrees. So some of these holes are different than what we've seen in the past. And I just think that no matter how it sets up, Brooks just shows up and he does what the course requires at major championships. Wouldn't be shocked at all to see him walk away with another one. And then at number three, I really debated between Rory and Ricky. I know on paper, Rory is the guy I just I really believe that the major championship expectations and the weight of not having won one in so long I, I think it's I mean how could it not be inside your head right I think it'd be in anybody's head and it clearly is way deep inside his if you watch St. Andrews last year uh, or LACC last month so I'm gonna go Scotty at one Brooks at two Rory at three uh, my dark horse though the Open Championship has the oldest average winner of the four majors. It's where we typically see some of the more veteran guys uh, creep up and do well. I'm going to go, and he burned me last time I used him. He burned me hard. He, was, he had missed the cut by noon on Thursday. But give me Justin Rose across the pond for whatever reason. I, I don't know. I've just decided I like losing money on Justin Rose. I'm running him out as my dark horse. Um, and, and funny enough, guys, I actually considered for a split second making Patrick Harrington my dark horse, but I couldn't quite do it. I didn't. I I didn't have the stones, guys. But he's playing good golf. He really is uh, dominating the Champions Tour. It seems like every week I hear that Padre Harrington is winning a golf tournament. I like those picks. Colby, uh, by the way, so don't be scared that Colby isn't going to come on the podcast because, Colby, we need to have you on for like an hour to talk about the future of golf at some point, but not this week. Everything is put on hold for our last major championship. Let's do it uh, the week before the Ryder Cup picks are made. Let's That'll be it. fun because then we can, all, we can all give our picks oh, yeah. and then we can talk about golf at large. I love Colby, it. Colby, real quick. Colby, real quick. How's your handicap looking for our tournament next week? Uh, well, the handicap is, it's pretty low right now. It's, it's appropriate. I'm down to 1.3, something like that, I think. But it's, we ain't trying to win no net championship. We're trying to win the growth. If, if there are two people who show up there that can beat you and me, good to them. I'll tip my cap. I don't think it's going to happen. Well, me and Sam got a little best ball experience this last <laughs> week. We didn't think we were going to have best ball experience, but we did. So I, I'm, I'm ready to roll, baby. <laughs> 
Uh, is that story on the pod somewhere? Because I need to listen. We to that just story. told it. That's why we were oh, late calling you. <laughs> perfect. I'll listen back to the pod so I can hear that story. I Good can stuff. promise you. All I can say is all I said to him, Colby. You moron. we're gonna check the tape what he definitely said it was a carl albert scramble i did not (laughs) (laughs) he never said it was a best ball that is a hundred percent fact it was never said it was a best ball hey i knew it was a best ball i might not have said it but i didn't tee off playing a scramble oh man colby enjoy your evening tell dana and the baby we said hi and have a great Open Championship Week, one of the best weeks for us golf nerds, right? Y'all are the best. Love you guys. Everybody, enjoy Royal Liverpool, and uh, we'll see who hoists the jug on Sunday. Yes, sir. That's Colby Powell of the Golf Channel. You can check out everything he does on the Golf Channel. Com. Fellas, let's dive into a little bit of what Colby just talked about. Let's start off with Rory. I teased it earlier. I want to give my thoughts on Rory. Everything is setting up perfect for Rory McIlroy this week. It's storybook-like stuff. His current form is phenomenal. He won here last time they had the Open Championship here. I mean, Everything is so perfect for Rory, and that's exactly why I am not picking Rory in my top three this week. T-Dub, I want to get your thoughts on this. Am I crazy for not going with Rory McIlroy this week? He's playing phenomenal golf, current form, prior course history. It just seems like over this past decade, it's been different tournaments, same story for Rory, where he has a major in the palm of his hands, and he can't get the job done. It just seems like Rory has a problem between the ears, those important six inches between the ears for Rory McElroy are going to cost him this British Open. And I think it's also interesting, T-Dub, that we have Cam Smith wins right before the Open Championship and Rory wins right before the Open Championship. A lot of talk about those two guys, the defending champion and the guy that was battling him out last year. It just seems like too good of a story for Rory McIlroy headed into this week. And I also don't like the fact that he canceled his press conference for the Open Championship this week. I can't remember Tiger Woods canceling a press conference before a major championship. Why can't I remember that? Because it never happened. He always did media before these major championships. Why? Because he was not scared of pressure. I feel like that is the reason, that's the word, why Rory McIlroy hasn't won a major since 2014 at Valhalla. It's because of pressure, and he has a bunch of it this week. That's why I'm fading Rory McIlroy this week. It has nothing to do with how great he's played recently. It's just a feeling that I have. I don't think you're crazy for that take. It's the opposite of the one that I have for him, but I don't think it's completely outlandish. Make some solid points. The one thing I, I will disagree on from a sense, I, I I think that his him not doing the press conference was going to be better for his golf. I can understand him. He probably should have done it since he's supposed to be the spokesman of the tour. I get that. But it is a good sign saying that he's going to try to focus more on just the game this week. So I, I at least appreciate that, and I think that actually will be advantageous for him this week. And then – the biggest reason I like him this week is that the last seven tournaments, he's gained strokes gains on the greens. He's gained more than .3 shots in that area in six straight starts, which is – and in that time, he hasn't finished outside the top ten. 
Rory's just one of those players where he just gets on runs and he has very good success. And even in 2012, when he won the PGA Championship there, he won the next two tournaments after that. And then in uh, in 2014, when he won uh, two majors, he won the uh, the Bridgestone Invitational in between that, winning three times in a row. So he just gets on these these runs where he can play some extremely good golf. And you look at his record in the Open Championship as well, finished third last year, obviously probably should have won if he had just maybe made a few more putts. And in 2018, finished second. Then you have a fourth, fifth, obviously the win in 2014. Then he had a third back in 2010 where he actually got to bat side of the draw in the weather. I think he shot like 63-81 or something like that in, in that one. So it's uh, he has a pretty good track record in this tournament, Woody. I, I get that y'all aren't the biggest Roy McIlroy fans, but I, I unless the weather completely screws him, I don't see a way that he's going to play bad this week. Well, one thing about it, I don't like him, but I he's a hell of a golfer, guys. I don't care. You know, I might not like the guy, but I can tell you what, he can golf his ball. And uh, I don't like he's not doing a press conference, really, because that, that's a little um, childish in a way. Probably wanting to change with the MO, how it's been going before. The other side of that coin is, is I'm glad he's not doing a press conference, because every time he does one, he says something stupid stupid in my opinion like what we said earlier today where if I, if all i got to play is to live i'll retire well sorry, don't let the door hit you in the ass is all i can tell him if, if that's what he feels like because that's a stupid statement okay don't don't bash the organization that's trying to put all this money and get it going you just don't do that so he might be better off guys not having a press conference if the truth be known focus on his golf uh, the british or the Open Championship, I'm, I don't care. I'm like, I just, whatever you want to call it. But he's always played it well. If, if he's going to win another major, I think it's going to be a British Open before it's another one of those. Right? The Masters will be the toughest one because you talk about immense pressure. It's not only winning the major, but winning the Grand Slam. Now that's big pressure. So I, I think, guys, He's not my top three. I'm going to go with what what Colby was saying. Colby put him third, but I just don't think he's going to win this week. I really don't. And I didn't even talk about the pressure of Rory McIlroy trying to tie Brooks Kepka with five majors. Rory with four majors, obviously, right now. I think that's another thing weighing on Rory's mind that has a lot of things running through it right now. Uh, we will get to our picks later on in the show. Um, but, fellas, I got to talk about the third favorite that I feel like is going under the radar. Actually, I don't feel like I know he's going under the radar this week. That's John Rom. John Rom earlier on this year, he won the Open Day Espana, then he won the DP World Tour Championship, then he won the Century in the American Express back-to-back times that he teed it up. Then he won the Genesis at Riviera and won the Masters. We were like, oh my gosh, how many times is this guy going to win this year? But then he hasn't won since the Masters and has had a little bit of a slump recently. And I say a slump in terms of you know, being the number one golfer in the world. He missed the cut at the Travelers. He finished tied for 10th at the U.S. Open, uh, albeit a little bit backdoorish, uh, and then finished tied for 16th at the Memorial the last three times that he's teed it up. I feel like John Rahm's going to have a good week this week at the Open Championship. What are your thoughts on John Rahm, who I can't believe I'm saying this, but the, the Masters champion is going under the radar this week at Royal Liverpool. Yeah, it usually doesn't get set for someone who's uh, number third ranked in uh, the official world golf ranking. So he's uh, uh, that magical run that he was on earlier. It's one of the better stretches of golf, probably a top five stretch of golf that we've ever seen, especially analytically. He's up there with the 
just behind the likes of like Ernie and, and David Duvall in their time and just behind Tiger, it was absolutely stellar how much he was playing, gaining over almost three shots around average. It's just pretty crazy to think about that. But then since then, he did finish second in the Mexico Open to, to Tony Fina, who won. It was a very lackluster field there, finished top 20 at the Memorial, and then finished top 10 at the U.S. Open. So has been playing extremely horrible golf by any stretch. Did, had a horrible first round of the PGA Championship, which is why he finished 50th place. And then missed the cut. The Travelers is the last tournament he played in. But it was the week after the U.S. Open flying across the country. I can understand that uh, player didn't play particularly good that week. So, and like, one of the biggest caveats, as we said earlier, we don't know the tee times and how the weather will affect it. So, it, barring weather just completely screwing him, I think John Rahm probably going to have a top 10, top 15 finish. I don't think he'll win the tournament. But I do think he'll play well. He finished third back in 2021, and he finished 11th in 2019. So, it's a little decent for him in this tournament, Woody. I think John Rahm's one of the scariest people in the world to try to predict. Okay, <laughs> that's all I can say. I wouldn't be surprised if he wins this week. I really wouldn't. But the other side of the coin is I wouldn't be surprised if he finished uh, 30th. So, I, I'm I'm kind of like you guys. Um, Rom, when he's on, he's really strong. Uh, he hadn't been on in a while. So, is it going to start this week at the British Open? Hey, on Sunday, we might, might go, wow, how did we not pick him? I just don't see him winning the golf tournament. I'm like you guys. I think he's top 20, but I don't see him winning. I guess we'll find out later in the show, Woody, who we have winning the Open Championship this week. Um, fellas, your fourth and fifth Favorites on Data Golf are Patrick Cantlay and Xander Shoffley, both California guys. By the way, this is not a trend anymore with Xander Shoffley. He has not missed a cut in 2023, and he also has not lost shots on the greens in 2023. Xander Shoffley, one of the most consistent players on the PGA Tour, uh, but T-Dub, like we saw at the U.S. Open, he does not have the minerals on Sunday. It seems like whenever Wyndham Clark stared him down at, at Quail Hollow, uh, kind of showed us who Xander Shoffley was. We've seen it numerous times in the past. I just have trouble picking Xander Shoffley to win the golf tournament, but to finish top 10 or top 20 on some type of bet, I would definitely like my chances on that considering how great he's putted recently. Now he just finished tied for 42nd at the Scottish Open. Would you like Xander Shoffley or Patrick Cantlay more this week headed into the British Open? I got to go with Shoffley on that bet for sure. As you mentioned, didn't play, missed, or finished 42nd his last time at the Scottish Open, but even before that, been playing extremely solid golf. He's not finished outside, I believe, the top 25 going all the way back to the Arnold Palmer at, uh, at Bay Hill before this last week that he played when he finished 42nd. One thing that is a little discouraging, his last five events, he's losing strokes gain around the greens. So his chipping's not ideal, but his putting has been able to bail him out. His putting's been exceptional. Four out of his last six tournaments, he's gained more than a shot on the greens. That's very, very impressive. And then, with the exception of last week with Scottish Open, he's been hitting his irons exceptionally well, too. He had not lost strokes gained in that area, going all the way back to last year at the FedEx St. Jude. So it was uh, – he's, he's playing a lot better than Patrick Cantlay, in my opinion. Cantlay had been playing since all golf, missed the cut uh, at the Scottish Open last week. But before that, finished fourth of the Travelers, 14th at the U.S. Open before that, and he had been – uh, playing uh, a lot of top tens and top fives even before that. But Woody, unfortunately, it is a major championship, so I do not see a world where Patrick Cantlay wins this tournament. <laughs> That's good. I like that, T-Dub. Yeah, comparing Cantley and Shoffley in a major, 
Uh, that ain't right. That, that That's like comparing uh, sugar-free ice cream to real ice cream. Which one would you rather eat? Really? Okay, there's no doubt. Uh, Shoffley is major consistent in majors. Cantley is minorly consistent in majors at best. So no doubt who you go with those two. It's Shoffley. Fellas, let's talk about the live guys for a second. 16 live players in the field. I'll list them off for you real quick. You got Abe Answer, Brooks Kepka, Bryson, Cam Smith, DJ, Henrik Stinson, Joaquin Neiman, Louis Eustazen, Patrick Reed, Phil Mickelson, Richard Bland, Taylor Gooch, Thomas Peters, and then the three guys that qualified for the British Open from live are Brandon Grace, Charles Schwartzel, and Laurie Cantor, T-Dub, who do you think is going to be the low-live guy out of those 16 names playing in the British Open this week? Well, maybe slightly contrarian. A lot of people will go with Kepka, who our man Colby Powell went with. I'm going to go with Bryson. I think Bryson's going to have a really good week. He's been playing extremely solid. He's not finished outside of the top 20 going all the way back to uh, what Adelaide back there. He finished 19th at Singapore. But then finished fifth in Tulsa, finished fourth of the PGA Championship, finished top 20 at the U.S. Open, and then finished ninth and then second of Alderama to our man TG, who beat him with a great putt on 18, then finished 11th in London the next week. So I think Bryson's trending in the right direction. Finished eighth last year at St. Andrews when essentially he was playing very, very poor golf. And before that, he had made two of four cuts in the Open. So I, I don't know, Woody, for whatever reason, I'm, I'm pretty high on Bryson. You know, I I think Scheffler's going to win the golf tournament this week, but I, I'm going to go out on a limb, guys, and I'm going to tell you this. If Scheffler doesn't, a limb guy is not only going to win, you're going to have at least three to four guys from the live tour in the top ten this week. They're going to make a statement this week at this Open Championship. So just put that in our little coffer. I might look really stupid on Sunday, but I look, might look really smart. But I do believe that. I think four of those guys, if one of them doesn't win, I still think one of them might win it. And if not, they'll be four in the top ten. Fellas, I'm going with Cam Smith to finish as the low-live guy. I'll tell you where I have him in my picks here in a second. But I think there's something to be said for guys that play good at certain times of the year and like I've talked about on this show, that Cam Smith took the offseason completely off, went and did whatever he wanted to do with his buddies in Australia over the offseason, and he's finally back to that elite form that we expect from Cam Smith. And, oh, by the way, he's been playing really good golf all year. He just hadn't popped until Live London. He wins at Live London, but before that, Tied for 12th at Valderrama. He finished 4th solo at the U.S. Open. He finished ninth in D.C., ninth at the PGA Championship. He tied Dustin Johnson here at, at Live Tulsa and lost in a playoff uh, and then finished 6th in Singapore, 3rd in Adelaide. A bunch of great finishes for Cam Smith throughout the year, and he finally pops the time that he tees it up before the British Open. I really like Cam Smith's chances, especially if there's a little bit of rain involved. I like the better putter in Cam Smith, and I think that he's going to have a big-time week this week at Royal Liverpool. And that leads me to our last question of the day, T-Dub. Please give me your three picks and a dark horse. We'll do this and then we'll do our one and done picks. But 
please give me your three picks and a dark horse for the final major championship of the year. So I'm going to go pretty chalk heavy here in my picks. I've tried to go contrarian in the past and it's come back to bite me in the ass. So I know that I'm going to go ahead and go with the, the top dogs. I went to the tournament. I know y'all are a little bit down on I'm going with Rory. I, I do think Rory's going to win. He's at, it's playing a, at a major on a course that he has already won a major at before, so I think that's going to help in the factor of him trying to get over the hump and win his first major in nine years. And as I mentioned earlier, he's just the type of player to get on runs, and he's on a run right now. The putter's hot, which is the, probably the main reason that I like his chances. Is, is there a world where he comes down the last six holes and we see the old Rory where we've seen the last essentially eight months or every other major up until this point over that stretch? where he just hasn't been able to get the job done. There's a chance of that for sure. But no, I do think that this will be the time that he breaks through and does get that fifth major. Number two, I'm going to go with Scotty Scheffler. Ball striking is just too good. The putter's horribly, so I think that will be, at the end of the day, his kryptonite that is going to hold him back and, and hold him back essentially all year, in a sense. So my next pick, give me a little bit of Terrell Hatton for my third pick, a guy that we have not talked about so far, but finished sixth at the Scottish Open, finished third at the Canadian Open, finished fifth at the uh, Byron Nelson, finished uh, third at the Wells Fargo. His last two, two majors, he finished 27th at the U.S. Open and finished 15th at the PGA Championship. And last year, he finished 11th in the Open Championship. And then 2019, finished sixth. And he also has a fifth place finish back in 2016. So a little bit of good form in the Open. So give me Terrell Hatton. Then my dark horse. This is a guy who's played in both the uh, most recent Open Championships at Hoy Lake. It's, uh, and he finished, I believe, eighth in 2014. And then 2006, he finished top five as well. And he's been quietly just making a lot of cuts, making money, but hasn't really been playing exceptionally well. Give me a little bit of Adam Scott. I think that he's just one of those guys also that just plays good and opens. He's uh, 39th in the OWGR. He's 32nd analytically. And he just he, he tends to play opens well, I believe. I'm trying to get my stat here. In 68 rounds that he's played in open competitive golf, he's get, he's averaging 1.76 shots per round. So a little bit of good value there with Adam Scott. On two, he's played two opens at this course where he's finished inside the top ten. So I think that uh, give me a little bit of Adam Scott with. Yeah, that you know what's always amazing to me is all those athletics you guys come up with and. It, it, sometimes they look really good on paper, and then when they play golf. They don't look worth a crap. Uh, so that's why I don't go with analytics when I pick. And sometimes you guys look really good, and I look really bad most of the time. So maybe I should be an analytic guy. But here you go. Here's what I'm thinking. Scheffler going to win. I had two I think going to win this week, okay? Second place, Cam Smith. Runner-up, uh, you know, that's an iffy one there. I think either one of those guys could win. Uh, my third pick, believe it or not, Ricky Fowler. Um, he got over the hump. Why not throw a major in the mix? Well, let's really have some fun. Dark horse. This one you guys are going to love. You guys have talked me into this one. Patrick Reed. <laughs> wow. If he could win this this Open Championship, what would that do? And and you know he's still Zach Johnson still wouldn't pick him. But wouldn't that be fun to watch all the hoopla that went on? So. That's why he's my dark horse. Those are my picks. Hey, Patrick Reed finished tied for second at Live London. He finished tied for fifth at Valderrama. He finished tied for sixth, uh, 56th at the 
U.S. Open earlier on this year, uh, finished tied for fourth at the Masters, was his best finish in the major championships this year. That's not a crazy pick, Woody. It would be a crazy finish if Patrick Reed were to have a great week this week at Royal Liverpool. Fellas, my dark horse is Taylor Gooch. It's the obvious dark horse. Taylor Gooch has won three times this year, and I feel like he has something to prove. And I feel like at the PGA Championship where he had to play well to get into the U.S. Open, that's pressure. Now, a Ryder Cup pick or whatever would just be icing on the cake, but I feel like it's even more than that for Taylor Gooch this week. Taylor has something to prove to the golf world that, Yes, he's beating major champions on live. Can he do it on a big stage in the major championships? Yes, he can. And he is going to prove that he can compete with these guys this week at Royal Liverpool in the British Open. And I think that Taylor Gooch is going to play well this week. Uh, My third guy I have on my list here, Terrell Hatton. I thought I was going to be the only guy with Terrell in my top three, and T-Dub kind of stole my thunder a little bit, but tied for sixth at the Genesis Scottish Open. He has had 10 straight tournaments gaining shots on the greens, putting phenomenal. When the weather gets a little dicey over there, I like the better putters, and that leads me to my next pick. My second pick for the British Open this week, I'm going with Cam Smith. Cam Smith, obviously playing great golf, won at Live London, really trending in the right direction at the right time. I know I don't necessarily love picking defending champions to win the golf tournament, so I'm putting him second, but I think he's going to have a great week this week at Hoylake. And Cam is one of those guys where nothing really phases him. If the weather gets a little dicey or the greens are a little shoddy, right, it doesn't bother me like it would bother me for a guy that's struggling with the putter like Scheffler or a guy that's dealing with the immense pressure like a Rory McIlroy. Um, so I like Cam Smith to finish second in the British Open, and then I'm going with John Rahm. I'm going with John Rahm to win the Open Championship. No one's talking about John Rahm this week. I know he missed the cut last time he teed it up at the Travelers. I do not care. He played decent golf for him at the U.S. Open, finished tied for 10th. But John Rahm is one of those guys that has so much talent that it just takes one week where things start clicking and John Rahm can blitz a field. And I think that it's probably getting under John Rahm's skin just a little bit that all this talk is on Rory and Scotty finishes top five every time he tees it up, that John Rahm wants to end the year the same way he started the year at Augusta National with winning a major, fellas. Uh, T-Dub, any final thoughts on the Open Championship? Any thoughts on what are your my picks? Uh, any thoughts on, you know, Hoylake, anything? I was watching live from earlier, and they were talking about they it's going to have a little bit of different hole layout than what we saw last time at Hoylake. I think they converted number 10, which was a par 5 to a par 4. But the big difference is 17 now is going to be, they believe they said 135-yard par 3. So it's going to be a little bit of excitement there, especially if the wind can blow. Might have, uh, And they showed a little bit of it. It looks like a pretty diabolical hole. So I think that that's going to be very pivotal coming down the stretch. And I don't think that the course is going to play as firm as it did when Tiger won in 2006, where you think where you could only hit one driver around, or one driver for the entire tournament. I apologize. Yeah, So I, I don't think that that's going to be the case. But I do think it is going to be a, 
more of a management type course, just like we see usually at the Open Championship. So it's, uh, but there are a lot of storylines, and the biggest thing I'm looking for, Woody, is there is there going to be we're going to have a lot more Ryder Cup Ryder Cup clarity after this British Open. I think we are, and I think that's what I'm really watching this for. You know, in a funny kind of way, we get so excited for April and Augusta, and now it's kind of a oh shoot, it's July, and now we're at the Open Championship. We're out of them. You know what I mean? It, it's a it's a it's good news, bad news. I don't know. It's always kind of sad to me when we have our final major because there, there's just now what do we got to look forward to the FedEx Cup. Oh wow, okay, but it, it is what it is, and that's why come you know Thursday morning, Friday morning, Saturday morning, Sunday morning, we're all going to be watching this just to see what happens. So I like you guys going with Terrell Hatton. I went with Terrell Hatton last week. He been sick. That wasn't bad, but. Uh, I like that pick. I, I started to go with him again, but I just wouldn't do it. So I guess what we're going to have, guys, is breakfast at the British. So uh, I hope you guys enjoy your weekend, and uh, we'll get together when it's done. That's exactly right. And one more guy that I don't want to disrespect because he did play his college golf at Oklahoma State. He won the U.S. Open earlier on this year, L.A. Country Club. That is Wyndham Clark. And I asked Colby the question, Ricky Fowler or Victor Hovland, we got to start mentioning Wyndham Clark when we start talking about those OSU guys. By the way, his his best finish, his only finish in the Open Championship was a tied for 76th last year at the 2022 Open Championship. Any thoughts on Wyndham uh, T-Dub this week? I, I wanted to you know get him in there before we get out of here. Well, ironically, that T-76 finish at the Open, I believe, was his highest major finish in any major up until he won at, uh, at the U.S. Open. So it's uh, he's the type of guy to where he, he could bypass all the all the standards that you think that you're supposed to do. Winning at Wells Fargo the way he did and then winning at the U.S. Open as well really solidified us. And it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility at all if Wyndham Clark won this tournament. But playing some great golf up, at, up until this point, he, what's funny is that one of the few times that he lost strokes gained approach to green, he's been hitting his iron so well this year, is was at the U.S. Open where he just putted and chipped and drove the ball exceptionally well. Every single one of those stats was extremely good. He finished, he finished 25th in the Scottish Open. Last week gained 1.4 trust gain approach. So, yeah, it's, I, I'm glad that you brought him up, Sam, because uh, it's a guy that, who's trending in the right direction. He's fifth in the FedEx Cup standings. He's left player, the uh, 11th player analytically. So, yeah, I think I think Wyndham Clark has a good week with him. And I agree with you, Sam. It, 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 how can we sit around and talk about the podcast and do this and forget the U.S. Open champion? Um, I think Wyndham is one of those young men that, that we haven't had him on our radar for so long. Then all of a sudden he appeared with Wells Fargo and this. So he's on our radar. I'm not I'm not going to downtrot his chances. Uh, you know, a couple more years of experience, he could be somebody we talk about every week, okay? So we're not, we're not discounting him. Uh, he's still on that radar for us, but he's working his way where the scope bleeps a lot more quickly. Now, Woody, remind me, did you ever play in a British Open? I did not. I was I was one year exempt when I was on tour. I was exempt one year. But, again, gentlemen, I'm dating myself. Back when I was exempt, there was no money, and I was starving. I had two children, and I was just trying to make a living. So that's when we would go play the Quad Cities, okay? That was the – what was – what we used to do when the uh, 
Augusta was played, there was one tournament played in Hattiesburg that was an off satellite event that we'd play in. That was the same way the British Open was. So, at hindsight, you know how many regrets you have as you get older. You guys will figure this out when you get there. That's one of mine. I, I so you were that. exempt, I mean, but you I, didn't play. I was exempt and didn't play. Yeah. What year were you exempt, Woody? Uh, 92. 92. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, uh, you, but you have played golf over there, right? And so my, yes. my question. Now, I was, that was at Muirfield, Woody. That was, it yeah, was at Muirfield. It was, it was at Muirfield. I know. Thanks for reminding me, T. That just made me feel bad again. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was a toy lake. I might not have been so disappointed at this point, but Muirfield was one of the best golf courses over there for sure. And, and, and Sam, the reason why I went to Scotland is because I always felt like I missed something. I felt like I probably made a really bad mistake. And once I got to Scotland and played the first time, that's why I went back three other times because it, it's just a very, very special place. So um, regrets, what's that song uh, Frank Sinatra said? Regrets, I've had a few. I have. And that's one I had well, right there. I regret not playing a British Open. Well, Woody, my, my question was, and and you have played golf over there, what is the main difference? Everyone always talks about Lynx golf. Yeah, they know you got to, you know, hit it low. They know the greens are a little bit funky. They're, you know, more fescue grass over there. Everyone knows all of that. But what are the main differences you noticed as far as trying to plot your way around a Lynx-style golf course as opposed to one in the United States? states one of the most difficult things over there is those bunkers are hidden we we play golf courses where where most of the bunkers you can see them uh the bunkers over there are hidden you have to know where you're going or you have to have a good caddy and what we found too is the rollout of the golf ball is huge uh unless they've had a lot of rain then it's wet and it's not as big a challenge but when it's dry British Open golf courses become a lot tougher because your rollout is unbelievable, especially at St. Andrews. Um, Carusti, same way. You can hit what you think is a pretty good shot, and it'll roll 50 yards, and it'll feed one of those pot bunkers. And that was going. the other thing is those bunkers are absolutely vicious, guys. They're, they're like number three at Oak Tree National. What do they fans. call that one, Woody? Well, that's called the asshole bunker, and there's a reason for it, okay? <laughs> and that's what you see a lot of over there, okay? So then you then the, the grass, everybody says, what kind of grass is it? And damned if I know. I'm telling you, I couldn't tell you what this stuff is. But it's not like anything you play on. The only, only place I've seen anything like it in the States is abandoned dunes up there in Oregon. So it, it's just a totally different kind of golf. I'll tell you this, a lot of guys go over there and hate it, um, but I don't know why, because if, if you're any kind of golfer, you love it, because it's just so much different and so much fun to try to work your way around without having a train wreck. That's all I can tell you. Nope. I, I can't, you got to go do it, guys. That's what I told you. That's on your bucket list for sure. Go do it. Now, Woody, that's, you, you mentioned one thing that I wanted to ask you about. You always see guys hitting more bump and runs on link-style courses over there at the British Open. Now, is that more because of the grass or, you know, the contours of, of 
you know, the green and, and even, you know, leading up to the green in the fairway? It's a little of both. Uh, the grass is kind of nappy where you can hit kind of bump and runs. What, what you find with those playing over there is your imagination. You got to have a great imagination. Sometimes we play so much golf in the States where there is no imagination. You just hit it up in the air and watch it land. Not over there. You, you, you play more on the ground over there than you ever play in the air. Uh, that's the only, that's the best way I can explain to you. Even your tee shots, you're worried about what they're doing on the ground because they roll into so much trouble. And your pitching, your, your, your bump and runs and all that, you're playing on the ground a lot more than in that, the states we play in the air. Uh, I bet you the first 60-degree wedge ever that hit the Scottish coast was confiscated as a, a weapon because it wasn't supposed to be there. Nobody <laughs> has a 60-degree wedge in Scotland. And they probably took exist. it from Phil Mickelson. Uh, T-Dub, any <laughs> thoughts on you know the uh, the style of play at the British Open as opposed to every other golf tournament? I just love listening to how Woody was detailing that. That was just absolutely elegant. It makes me want to go play over there even more because, as you mentioned, it's definitely – on the bucket list. I just, I, the main reason thing I like about it is what he was alluding to. It's just so much different. It's such a unique style and it brings the imagination back into it. We're in an era now of track, man, where everyone just hits the ball as high as they can with low spin. And it's not extremely imaginary. The, the golf ball can't move in abundance unless you have a lot of speed like Bubba Watson who can, who can curve it a lot. But at the same time, there's, it's just a lot different game than what it used to be. So it's good to see that the links kind of brings out the old style of golf which is something that I absolutely love because if you don't have an imagination and just have a, a feel to get in the hole, especially whenever the weather picks up, which is also a, a supremely great element of what, or can be a great element of, of golf, of links golf. I think that it's uh, it's a beautiful thing. And it looks like we may have a little bit of weather for this tournament. So we might have good old fashioned uh, links golf after all. No doubt about it there, guys. When you guys were talking right there, it reminded me of a perfect way to end the show. Now, when you guys were talking about anyone can succeed on Lynx-style golf, it reminded me of my least favorite British Open I've ever watched, but unfortunately, it's the British Open that always pops into my head when I think about the British Open. That would be the 2009 British Open where Tom Watson ended up losing to Stuart Sink and had the tournament in the palm of his hands and somehow he flushes it over the green and then doesn't get it up and down there at the 2009 British Open. But fellas, that's my last question of the day. What is your favorite British Open memory before we get out of here? I guess that's my least favorite, but unfortunately that's the one that pops into my head. Well, I kind of along the same lines of that because I know you aspire to, to Tom Watson so much, and I, I aspired. I've always aspired to Tiger. I know you do too. But uh, I'm such a big Tiger fan. I remember in 2002 when they played at Muirfield, the third round was atrociously bad. I mean, atrociously bad. Tiger Woods shot an 81 in that round. 81. It was his highest competitive round ever. You cannot imagine how distraught a huge nine-year-old Tiger Woods fan was. The fact that he shot 81. It was it was, it was like one of the worst days an eight-year-old could have at that point. So I, I distinctly remember that, and that's a highlight of how intense that Lynx golf can get. But back to your your Tom Watson point. Just want to make this point. Stewart Sink ended up being Tom Watson in that in that playoff, but they were two under par. That's the score that that ended up winning. Tom Watson should have been three under. Hit a perfect iron shot into 18. And just got an unfortunate bounce and went too far. 
the course they played at was Turnberry. Turnberry is such a, a gorgeous links course. But and people may be asking, well, if it's so good, why have they not gone back there? Unfortunately, the the owner of the uh, the owner of the course is not liked by a lot of people. So that's a very unfortunate consequence of uh, the fact that we may not see Turnberry played in an Open Championship in Lord knows how long. When you think back of British Open, that's what you just said, though, T-Dub, is so sad that we still let politics interfere with a great golf course. Turnberry's one of my favorites because that was the one I'll go to, too, Sam. And the only reason why is I happened to be good enough friends with Tom Watson was playing in a uh, – it was a senior Open, and he was actually – we were on the range is where we got to shooting the, the bull a little bit. And I asked him about that shot because <laughs> I wanted to know. And he said, you know what, Woody? I flushed it. I hit it as good as I can hit it. I did exactly what I wanted to do. But I won a lot of British Open's hitting some bad shots and coming out okay. That's when I hit a really good shot and then just didn't hit a very good putt. And the rest is history. But he said, if I could hit that shot again, I'd hit the exact same shot. So that one sticks in oh, my mind. That makes me feel rare. even worse, Woody. That, well, I mean, it, Tom Watson, it, one of my all-time favorites, and obviously a little bit yeah. before my time, but I, I loved Tom Watson. That's why that one sticks in my mind, because I was actually able to ask the player that hit the shot, if you could do it again, would you have hit eight iron? He said, no, I hit it as good as I could hit it. I did exactly what I wanted to do. I was more shocked than anybody that went over the back three. Now he did admit off, off, you know, off the air, so to speak. He said, "But Woody, I butchered it from there." He knew he did. Yeah, yeah. But, but the tee shot, the seven iron was good as he could do. Oh man, I, I still hate Stuart Sink. I hate his guts no, just because of that. Don't I, make Sink. I hate Sink's Stuart Sink. No, he's not. He's <laughs> oh, the he's worst. I, no, I hate Stuart Singh point. just because of that tournament. Uh, I don't know Stuart Singh whatsoever, Singh, by the way. Yeah, it was going to be somebody else who wasn't Stuart Singh. But I'm with you. But Stuart Singh's a good guy. <laughs> don't hate him. But he, he, on the other side of the coin, Sam, would, would tell you, and I asked him a little bit, you know, did you catch some grief? And he said, man, you can't believe some of the hate mail I got. It's probably for me. Which is sad. I mean, that's just I'm sad. just kidding, by the way. <laughs> no, well, yeah, that yeah, is very sad. Yeah. <laughs> no, that would be that would be terrible to win your, you know, major championship and then oh, everyone yeah. just hated you for it. Hey, how about yeah. this, guys? 2009, we had Stuart Sink beat Tom Watson in the Open, and then right after that, we had Wyatt Yang beat Tiger Woods at the PGA. It was the worst two major stretch of all time. <laughs> I forgot That's about that. I, That's a great point. I forgot about also, I, uh, I Luke, Luke, that. Also, Luke, oh, oh, the, the other two major champions that year, Lucas Glover at Bethpage, and then yeah. Angel Cabrera at, yeah. uh, at the Masters. And he is not welcome back at Augusta now because I'm not sure he can get out of the country. I don't think he's welcome yeah, well, back in America. No, he he's can't in get prison. out of prison. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> so, oh, my but, gosh. You know what? 2009 just wasn't a very good year, was it? 
No, it, it was the worst I, year for majors on, on record. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. <laughs> that is crazy. Uh, fellas, the last thing I have for you guys today is how to watch the Open Championship or the British Open, as we like to call it. That would be on Thursday and Friday. You can watch it, and I'll say these in Eastern time for everybody. On Thursday and Friday, you can watch it from 1.30 a.m. to 4 a.m. on Peacock, and then 4 a.m. to 3 3 p.m. on USA and then 3 to 4 p.m. on Peacock and then on Saturday and Sunday you can watch it from 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. on USA and then 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. on NBC fellas if you are a golf nerd like us I will be up in the middle of the night T-Dub are you one of those to get up in the middle of the night and watch the open championship well back in my younger days I wouldn't be able to do this anymore you just pull the all-nighter and just never go to sleep. And then you, you catch a little <laughs> nap about 4, 4 or 5 a.m. and then wake up at about 7 and just start gaming again. But, no, I, I think I think those days are behind me. What I'll do is I'll set the alarm a little bit earlier, a couple hours earlier than I would. Had Tiger been playing, I would have tailored my schedule around to watch him play because he's not in the field. I don't have one player that I must watch. So I'll just start watching, you know, sometime fairly early morning. What are you going to be up yeah. at? What one thirty a.m. to four a.m. on Peacock? Only if I have to go pee, um, <laughs> and I doubt that's going to happen. I, but I will catch it with my coffee in the morning. I usually my coffee's about six thirty or seven, so I'll catch it then. Sam, I'm not that I'm not that dedicated. I'm sorry. Oh, that's good stuff. I cannot wait for the British Open at Royal Liverpool at Hoylake coming up later in the week from Thursday to Sunday. Speaking of Sunday, we will be on the Sports Animal for our seventy third hole radio show. You're not going to want to miss it. The action is probably still going to be going on right around that time depending on weather uh so you are not going to want to miss the 73rd hole radio show from 10 a.m to noon every single sunday uh we will be doing that up until football season starts on the sports animals so definitely tune in to t-dub and i recapping everything going on at the Open Championship this week. Woody, thank you. T-Dub, thank you. This has been Sam Humphreys on the 73rd Hole Podcast. If you're not already subscribed to the podcast, definitely make sure and go do so. After the Open Championship, obviously these pros are going to get a little bit of a break so I assume we're going to have some big time interviews for you guys lined up as we progress through this wild world of golf that we live in. And if you subscribe to the podcast, you're going to get a notification whenever we drop a new episode. So definitely make sure to go do that. It's absolutely free for you guys. And then also go follow us on social media at the 73rd hole on Twitter and at 73rd hole on Instagram. Fellas, great show. Thank you to Colby Powell of the Golf Channel. This has been Sam Humphreys on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma.